Welcome to Justice Losers, a podcast where we talk about pop culture media, namely movies, TVs, and comics. I'm your host. Did you stop it? No. I opened my news. I'm your host, Preston. Join us always with my delightful co-host, Batman. Matt, what should people do? People should like, subscribe, and tell a friend. Yep. Yeah, look, look, do like a little, uh, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, cheeky. There it is. Cheeky look into the camera. <laughs> That's not going to end up. I'm Never practicing. being in front of people. <laughs> I'm getting into the rhythm of that. <laughs> yep. Figuring what that's going to feel like. Uh, yeah, you should do that. Uh, again, social media vacancy at the moment, so. <laughs> yep. We are without form and void. Yep. But. But. Three more episodes. Three more episodes of this, of, of whatever this nonsense is. This is season one. This is season, this this is is season two. Because <laughs> season one is when we were on YouTube. Stop doing that. Kind of reinvented ourselves. Mm-hmm. This is season two. We're about to hit season three. Like if you, if if we really did like batch things in, this would be yeah. like this is. Uh, I'm trying to think. This is if season three of a show, if a season two was can- a show was canceled after season two and then moved to Netflix. Right. This is we're about to hit season three on Netflix. Hope it's better than Arrested but Development it's... seasons four and five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But also, it does. It's not particularly the same because season three starts with a bang rather than season two ending with a bang. Right. Uh, Matt, what you been up to? Not a whole lot. Um, started volume three of the Brian Michael Bendis run on Daredevil. Right. Um, I really, really like the first sort of extended story arc in the in that volume. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically this old timer mob boss guy gets out of prison and he comes back looking for Daredevil because Daredevil put him behind bars so long ago when daredevil had the yellow suit oh wow um so there's a lot of really cool flashbacks like it flashbacks to the like when this guy was just getting his start in the mob Mm -hmm. um and it's like it's black and white and um there's like a one of the earliest superheroes is trying to bust him up it's Mm. just some made up dude i think named the angel or something Mm. guardian angel maybe um and then there's like sort of the uh the the however they do it with the dots so it looks like kind oh, of yeah. 70s yeah um and that's where like daredevil young daredevil comes in with the yellow suit uh-huh. um and so it's it's really cool just like the the flashbacks and the different styles and stuff um but it's also it's a really great story i'm discovering i really like stories where daredevil's arrogance gets him into trouble mm. and this one like he you sends... like character flaw yeah go figure yeah superman have one nope does Batman have one? Yeah, he has apparently one that just gets overused in all of his stories. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So in this one, he uh he catches the mob boss and is sending him off to prison, and he can't resist getting one last taunt. So he puts the costume on and goes and like watches him being put into the van to go to prison and like smirks from a distance, uh, and it really comes back to bite him. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but the way he gets out of it is actually also really cool. And I think really in keeping with daredevil character, mm-hmm. um, I'll leave that unspoiled just in case someone wants to read it. All right. Good. It's, but yeah, I mean, I'm going to end up reading them eventually. Yeah. Uh, you're also not going to remember it if I spoil it right now. Correct. True. Very, very fact. Right. But still <laughs> I'll leave it unsaid. Yeah. yeah. So that's, uh, that's good. Um, getting into more stuff after that. Um, I haven't actually watched any more Avatar. How could you? It's been like four days and I've also been busy. 
All right, that's fair. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll get into some more this weekend. I'll let it slide. I also finished rereading Testimony, um, which I've been reading over the past couple of weeks. Oh, Testimony. Uh, <laughs> it's probably my favorite book of all time. Oh, not Dune? No, Dune's, Dune's fine. Dune's okay. All right. Dune's pretty good. I don't have any semblance of an opinion on it. <laughs> <laughs> don't know why you thought it was my favorite, but okay. I, I don't know. You were raving about how like how much you liked how the world building and everything worked. Okay. I, yeah, I, I like the way it goes. But, like, I it's... know very little about your like your novel opinions. Yeah, just my general reading habits. Yeah. Um, Do you like Harry Potter? Did you read Harry Potter? Yeah, you did. You read Harry yeah, Potter. Yeah, about a dozen times each. Yeah. I like Harry Potter. Yeah. Lord of the Rings is still the, the end-all be-all of okay. like... I don't know if you want to call it popular literature, but I mean um, it's it's popular and it's literature. Yeah, I think that's the quintessential popular literature. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's capital P popular and capital L literature. Fair enough. <laughs> um, no, I I generally I like a lot of serious stuff. I like some Faulkner. I like uh, Borges. I was talking about him last week. I like um, or not last week. Uh, the I think it was the Tenet review um i like uh, so two days ago right <laughs> uh, i really like wallace stegner um uh, i'm getting into gerald murnane a little bit haruki murakami um yeah it's all right there's a hair on me and i'm about to vomit hard get off it's not mine what color was that purple was that- I think it was. It may well have been. <laughs> I said it just picking a random color, but I realized that actually might have been the case. <laughs> um, yeah, so Testimony uh, is actually not a novel, probably. Um, <clears throat> it's the alleged memoirs of Dmitry Shostakovich. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah. Uh, do you know anything about Shostakovich? So it's a, it's like a fictional bi- fictional autobiography? It like is, a fictional memoir based on true fact that we know about him kind of thing. It's probably his actual memoirs as related to and edited by a guy named Solomon Volkov, but it might also be completely made up by Volkov. Interesting. And okay. we don't know exactly. Oh. Um. So do you know anything about Shostakovich? So the only thing I know about Shostakovich is that apparently had an interesting enough life that there was a book based on him and you're about to say something about literally the only thing i know about him is what i've assumed from what you've told me oh, right. in the past two minutes glad you said that dmitry <laughs> dmitrievich shostakovich born 1906 died 1975 you memorize this book and you're about to know this episode is <laughs> no <laughs> uh lived his entire life in uh russia and the soviet union and if you know anything about your 20th century history, 1906 to 1975 was a very interesting time to live in Russia slash the Soviet Union. A lot of oppression, repression, um, friends getting dragged away and executed in the middle of the night, stuff like that. Um, so he wrote a lot oppression, of music. Oppression, repression, depression. Yes. Compression. Expression. He very much expression. He he does a lot of expression in his music. Um, and so the Soviets kind of, you're trying to, um, <laughs> I can't think of another one. Secession, which is no, the opposite that's... of what the Soviet Union did. <laughs> that's not oppression though. Um, to su- suppression, suppression. There's there we a go. Good, Got yeah. one. I'm satisfied. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So his, uh, um, the, the Soviet official narrative, which 
you always question exactly the Soviet official narrative on everything. I just watched Chernobyl all the way through. I have... Yeah. <laughs> so... you, you question the, the official <laughs> yes. Soviet. Their, their narrative was that he is sort of the favorite son of Soviet music. He wrote a lot of patriotic music and was... Um, he would occasionally stray. He was led astray by academic inclinations and um, formalism, which the definition kind of changed to fit whatever they didn't like musically at the time. Okay. Um, the and so that was that was basically his what the Western public knew about him until his death. It's like, oh, he's the Soviet composer. He his music's pretty great, but he's basically just a Soviet puppet. What has he done that I I feel like I know. I- I mean, I obviously know his name. You'd recognize a couple of his tunes if you heard them. Um, I'm not going to sit here yeah, and don't sing them. Singing. <laughs> uh, but you, you've definitely heard a couple of pieces of his yeah. before. Oh, I know I have. I just can't yeah. place any of the melodies. You've heard the probably the two that are the least characteristic of Shostakovich. Awesome. He's uh, His music tends to be kind of thorny. It's just on the edge what of What an accessible. adjective for music. I never would have thought the word thorny would apply to any audio medium. Heard it. Because it, well, it's a physical yeah. thought. Yeah. Like. Spiky. It's same thing. Yeah. That's the point. All right. That's fair. Um, <laughs> yeah. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Um, so, yeah, a lot of his music is um, very spiky. Very. Um, it gets at some really interesting emotions. Um, the. 10th symphony the first movement i think is one of the best characterizations of fear in music just like abject existential and literal physical terror okay in music um it's not an emotion that you feel like you'd be able to get across very easily but yeah he nails it um so after his death uh testimony was published and testimony basically um the is, so it's presented from Shostakovich's point of view mm-hmm. um I tend to think testimony is legitimate. Just uh, there's a lot of evidence to support that, but there's some evidence against it too. Mm-hmm. It's still an interesting ongoing debate. Um, basically, the narrative of testimony is that Shostakovich was beaten down, depressed, knew how awful things were around him because he legitimately had his friends getting picked off and executed by yeah. the KGB throughout his Classic. entire life. Um the, he came very close to getting picked off and executed himself a few times. Um, borderline suicidal for a good chunk of his life. Just miserable guy, but kind of made his way through it, wrote a lot of great music along the way. And so it's kind of him just talking about not even his life, just the lives of people around him. And it tends to reflect on his own life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, then the image is, okay, he's a sort of he's a closet dissident he knows how terrible things were but he just like didn't want to say anything he's about gonna it. he's gonna die if he says something yeah. against the the system um and so either it is a really fascinating insight into a composer's hidden life um a look at how he just looks at the world and how he dealt with this unprecedented awful situation mm-hmm. or it's a fictionalization of basically the same thing, um, which conveys somehow the spirit of Shostakovich so well that it's really impressive that someone would be able to pull it off without actually having some legitimate grounding on it. Mm-hmm. Either way, it's a really impressive book and it's a haunting read. Hmm. Just cool. Yeah. 
How long does it take to read that for you? Uh, took me about a week and a half. Oh, okay. So you were working on it last week, gotcha. Yeah. Didn't mention it then, but yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. It's good stuff. Cool. Anything else? It's a movie, but we'll talk about that oh, in a minute. That's right. We did do that. Did we? we did see a movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what have I done? I continued reading Flash. I finished. <laughs> God damn it. The audio, like there's no video for this one. So it's just audio of me getting irritated. But I for feel no like, reason. I feel like they heard my shirt lift. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I finished that the up, up through issue number 40. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got some interesting ideas by the end of it is that like it didn't have interesting ideas and then they got interesting compliment or i'm not sure how i feel about these i'm not sure how i feel about about them because it's like i feel like so there's a there's a problem with comic runs Mm -hmm. of the big ones that are just continuously going right with creating interesting ideas and having the time to actually develop them. Mm -hmm. And the new 52 particularly is a culprit of this because Mm -hmm. it has those lines like green arrow, flash, Batman, Superman, all of the Batman and Superman related ones and the justice League and stuff where if you have an interesting idea, you tell it over about the course of seven, eight months. Mm hmm. But then that ninth month, you got to have a fucking issue out. Right. So if you're the person on the line, if they don't have anybody to take over, or God forbid, you leave, and then they really quickly have to, which happened a lot during the New 52. Just had, why? They just had writers leave during, like leave a line after they're done because they're like, there's too much oversight, and this is a nightmare, and I hate this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting topic. You should produce a video delving ah, into it. Maybe I should. Um, but... The so it's the idea that the Flash from twenty years in the future, Barry Allen from twenty years in the future, mm-hmm. um, wouldn't want to see him twenty years in the future. Flash and they're just probably so saggy. God damn it! <laughs> um, so he's twenty years in the future. It's it's him in the future, and because of a thing that's been happening the past twenty years with the Speed Force, mm-hmm. he's been losing a lot of time. So like, the time it takes him to get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm he actually loses time. So like at his speed, it would take him 30 seconds, but he actually gets there in about 10 minutes, like 10 minutes passes when he's running at that speed. Like it just time, like think black hole stuff from interstellar where to him, it feels like 30 seconds, but it's actually been 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, and because of that, Wally West died about 15 years ago and Iris got uh, paralyzed. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Mirror Master did a heist thing that cost a whole bunch of people their lives, and he made a mistake that that he re- that Mirror Master regretted. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trickster did a thing where he was trying to steal a safe, but it fell out off the thing that was carrying it and crushed a parents and a ten month old child, mm. um, and all this stuff. So, twenty year in the future, Barry is going back in time to actually kill himself oh. in present day. Because he's like, you're breaking the speed force and causing these things to happen. Mm-hmm. So he keeps going. He goes back like uh, it It interspersed with present day Barry's story. Mm-hmm. There is future Barry who's in a completely different costume, mm-hmm. uh, like this blue thing. And he's like, he uh, there's like th- this interesting element that he actually learned how to fight. He went to Batman, went to Lady Shiva like, uh. and learned how to actually fight. 
um, in case he lost his speed, which he has several times. And he's like, man, without my speed, I'm useless. Right. Um, so he like goes back in time and kind of stops at those moments where he's failed and fixes them, fixes them mm-hmm. and then goes all the way back. And then future and pat uh, future and present Barry come in contact and it fucks everything up. Do they touch each other and then annihilate? Yeah. Oh, kinda. So it basically, it sent present Barry. I mean, I get your reference to uh, tenant. Uh, it sent present Barry into a different zone of the speed force than he's ever been. And there's like these people that have been getting yoinked from different mm-hmm. times. There's a guy from like the 1700s, the 1900s, the 2010 or the 2050s mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, but it made future Barry de-aged to present day Barry's age and everything. Uh-huh. And now he's with his girlfriend, Patty, uh, Patty Spivet. Um, I almost said a name of an actual person that exists that's my, my mom's coworker, um patty spivet who he hasn't seen in years and apparently she dies at some point and he's like oh my god like i love you like i, I i'm holding you for the first time in like 15 years and like all this stuff mm-hmm. and it's really interesting it's like this guy who's lost everything and he's made so many mistakes mm-hmm. that is now getting to redo that yeah. and like and, and this all this whole thing of like this kind of there's themes in there, but like capital T themes go back to that episode, but barely touched on because mm. the writer is like, I have this really cool idea. And they're like, cool. You got a month to write it. Mm. <laughs> but instead, like what they're doing now, like what comics, what comics now are, are more doing like justice league. Isn't a running line. Mm-hmm. There was a 10 issue run of a person had an idea and then it stopped. And then there's like, I think a current issue running now that is going to stop. It's more series based on teams mm-hmm. and it allows for more natural storytelling and more development of the story. Like Brian Michael Bendis had this idea for action comics and was like, I want to write it. And they're like, cool, you got however long you have mm-hmm. until issue number 1001. And then you're going to jump on it. And he's like, cool. And then he writes it and then he starts writing it. Action comics and detective comics are going to keep running. Mm -hmm. But I think now that all of the writers they have on their, uh, um, I'm sort of looking for, excuse me, roster Mm -hmm. aren't all completely busy taking up writing two different lines. Right. Like, uh, Jeff Lemire was writing three different lines all at once. And the other two failed while he was writing a bomb ass green arrow run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you got people like Jeff Lemire. Who's like, all right, I'm working on this one line, but on the side while I'm writing green arrow or whatever he was working on right now, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of play with this idea of t- uh, Tim Drake becoming Robin again, which mm-hmm. has just happened. Okay. Like a couple days ago. Um, I don't know if that was Jeff Lemire. I, I don't think that's who's writing it, but it gives writers that's a broader story that I can really get into. Uh, but that to say there's this like really kind of interesting idea that is just, it's given a little bit of room to play, but not as much Mm. where I'm going, Holy crap. This is awesome. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it makes me think about running to write my own story of something else that has to do with that. Uh. (laughs) Uh, because you know, a good story has an idea and they're like, Hey, I'm going to tell you a story with this idea. And you're like, Oh, that was really cool. An okay story goes, I have this really cool idea. I'm going to tell you a story. And they go, 
I could do it better. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's kind of what that did. Um, like I mentioned, I watched uh, Chernobyl mm-hmm. again all the way through. Uh, boy, watching that with a full nice sound system. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Orgasmic. I bet. Um, I still need to sit down and actually watch that. Have you not seen any of it? Not at all. Man, I'll watch it again. <laughs> uh, Andrew hasn't seen it either, so we could do a we could do a watch party. Yeah, Hell yeah. It's only five hours. Yeah, we could just sit down and do it someday. Yeah, uh, but no, it's Chernobyl is just awesome. Like it, it does such a good job of explaining. Like my girlfriend had no idea what happened in Chernobyl, mm-hmm. and then so about halfway through the first episode, she's like. What's, so what's going on? And so I kind of briefly explained playing to her like Chernobyl. And then I couldn't remember how good of a job the show does of actually, it explains pretty clearly how a nuclear reactor works. Mm-hmm. And also all of the Ching reaction elements that went into the, the, the explosion and then the meltdown, mm-hmm. uh, which two separate things, by the way, mm-hmm. I didn't know that until, this time but also like the first time i watched it you have to be paying attention right don't get on your phone while they're explaining like the science of how it works yeah um especially the last scene the last uh episode is based around that the um him actually explaining to the state what went wrong Mm -hmm. and it's this really interesting uh kind of um back and forth between him and the kgb of like they want to cover it up but he's like I can't. And it also turns out that every important colleague in the nuclear engineering field was at, in that room. And he was like, do I lie to cover my ass in front of all of these people? Mm-hmm. Or do I prove my dignity in front of all of my colleagues and just straight up say what happened? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to let you figure out what happened. How? Okay. Cause it might surprise you. It might. It might not. It might. Who knows? If you know anything about the Chernobyl ca- like thing and mm-hmm. how that all panned out, it's not going to surprise you because you know what happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that's great. Uh, I've been playing Civ 6. Oh. I used to be playing Civ 5, but I played Civ 6, and it's a whole other element. And so Civ 5, I always talked about how I do culture wins, mm-hmm. and it's my jazz. I spread right. my jazz. Civ 6, it lends itself more to take my jazz or die. And the past, like, four games I've played, I've been spreading my jazz, but just one civilization's like, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck you harder. <laughs> and then I just wipe them off the map. <laughs> Every game I've I've eliminated at least one civilization while spreading my jazz. <laughs> Makes sense. So, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's, I'm like, hey, you like beta, <laughs> you like jazz? you like no <laughs> cool i'm gonna snap your neck <laughs> uh and i think that's pretty much all i've done except we watched tenet boy did we boy did we uh matt preston two sentence review it is probably the most christopher nolan movie we've gotten in a long time uh exposition heavy very complex kind of light on character but it is a treat for the eyes it's non-stop action it's incredibly well constructed um pay attention 
Oh, boy. <laughs> Pay attention. Pay attention. Don't be ex- expecting the next Inception, and you're going to be in for a fun ride. Hell yeah. What do you I, got? That. It's uh, it's uh, um, such cool ideas with the premise playing with it that it like it really just kind of sucks you in the tension of all of the little heist moments are just mm-hmm. like perfectly well done yeah um it does an amazing job of treating you like an adult where they kind of like they, they do little bits of an explanation of needing something and then they instead of explaining why they need it they show you why they need it right um uh there's some lacking uh towards the end of it when it starts getting really handsy with the premise and it starts to kind of like show some holes Mm -hmm. but overall if you don't think about it too much airtight premise there's kind of a right level to think about this movie i think you have to think enough to actually understand what's going on but not so much that you start poking holes in it yeah exactly uh eight out of ten for me yeah i think you said the same solid eight out of ten for me yep so go watch it absolutely certainly go fucking watch it honestly big screen this is we're going to do a better, we're going to, we're going to kind of standardize how we're, how we do review stuff. So basically if we say a movie, if for me, if I say a movie's over six out of 10, you should absolutely go see it. Yep. Um, I think, I guess yeah. it's probably the same. That's, for you uh, it's very similar. going to line up with me. Yep. So yeah, absolutely go see it. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, got some bad news today. Yeah. Robert Pattinson tested positive for COVID. Yep. Shit. Also the rock. Also, The Rock and his whole family. Yeah. But Batman. Bat. Buttman. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's. Man. That's Black Adam and Batman out for the. or down for the count. Yeah. I hope this doesn't stop the movies. It Because he can't, term. like. Well, the thing is, like. It's definitely going to push batman back to 2022 like we're not getting it in 21 because not necessarily well think about the the effects of him having it it's mm-hmm. like one it's going to take him maybe a month to get over yeah. it and then also assuming the entire crew is still ready to go after a month right but they're not going to be good for a month because then he has to recover everything that he all of like the exercise and stuff that he lost he honestly wasn't exercising very much oh wasn't he <laughs> yeah yeah there's a interview a few months ago where um he's like yeah zoe kravitz keeps getting on me because she's exercising like twice a day six days a week and mm-hmm. i'm like eating pizza rolls <laughs> <laughs> i don't remember what it was that he was eating but yeah mcdonald's or something all right well never mind on that then maybe maybe it won't get pushed back a whole lot i i wouldn't expect it to um they've still so the thing is there's enough characters i feel like they could it's not going to completely put a halt on it i think they could still do some filming with like yeah catwoman riddler all them like other stuff not hit up with him in it they can shoot a lot of other stuff and tighten up the stuff they have but they did stop production for now right yeah right um wear your goddamn masks people it's literally his character (laughs) <laughs> he has it all except his mouth yeah <laughs> uh yeah so that sucks and i did, uh, i'd heard about black Adam or um, i just saw the headline yeah two minutes ago um i saw a headline that uh elon musk was like yeah colonists on mars would die no shit <laughs> not a whole lot out there like i kind of figured i don't know Yep. That's just that's not a pop culture thing. I just saw that headline. And I was like, "All right, wow." Um, so here are the people who have actually 
had COVID this year. Uh, some of them. Tom Hanks, Rita Wilson, Idris Elba, Daniel Day, Kim, Mel Gibson, Brian Cranston, and Antonio Banderas. Jesus Christ! Yep. But they have all recovered. Uh, and I don't know. Maybe he's maybe he's just asymptomatic. We'll see. Yeah, so The Rock, apparently, they're actually... They've gotten through it. Oh, okay, good. Um, his kids basically didn't have very much. Um, didn't have very much of the COVID. Yeah, sore throat, <laughs> basically. Oh, that's good. Um... He and his uh, he and his wife. It was worse. They had a, a rough time, but apparently they're okay. Sorry um, for the sound. It's probably just a nightmare right now because I'm messing. With I'm my sure. Um, what other news? What other I'm news? Tired of talking about COVID. Uh, we got another James Bond trailer. Yes, we did. Yeah, I am still not fully on the James Bond wagon. Like I don't know what it's. It's got Hans Zimmer, Billie Eilish, no. and Ana de Armas. I, this movie is built for I you, saw the Ana and de, you're going to like it. I saw the Ana de Armas uh, <laughs> bit, and I was like, yeah. She's such a badass in this movie. Woo, yeah. Woo. Hang on. Batflick's been rubbing off on her. Huh? Batflick's been rubbing oh, off on her. Oh, shut the fuck up. Literally. Don't. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, No, I mean... I... Okay. Put it. Let's put it this way. You think someone seeing an in-game trailer who hasn't really seen or paid attention to the rest of the MCU would care about the in-game trailer? Or see how it's exciting? No. Like, so, that's kind of me. I just... I saw Spectre mm-hmm. forever ago. I haven't seen any of the other one of his. Oh, I saw... Mm. We have seen Spectre. What was the other one? Uh, Skyfall. And I saw mm. Skyfall on my phone. We'll need to sit you down and actually watch yeah. you through these. I've watched... I've seen the first... Four, I actually sat down and watched the first four James Bond movies ever. Oh, like the Doctor like, No. Yeah. And... and those ones were good. Yeah. I, I liked them. I, I remember quite a bit of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I do need to sit down. How long do I have until 25 comes out? Like six more months. Oh, hell yeah. I, I got time. Yeah. And now that I got good speakers. You got no time to die. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, is that like the title of the movie or something? Something. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I, I mean, it, it looks like a good trailer. Like that's all I can really say right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, I know very little about the characters and like, are there recur, are there new characters or are there uh, rec- returning characters in the trailer? Yeah. Uh, Leah Sudu's character, the blonde love interest. Okay. She was in Spectre. Um, Rafe Fiennes has been in. I knew him. Yeah. Knew he he's was... been in the past couple. Um, uh, Jeffrey Wright's character has kind of popped up in most of them. What's the Schmidt? No. Who? The German guy. The German guy? Yeah, he was the Spectre guy. Oh, uh, yeah. Can't remember his name. Um. Schmidt Schmitty Schmitz Stein. Because <laughs> he's German. Huh? Blofeld. Blofeld, yeah, him. He's like an iconic Bond villain. This yeah, I know that. Like, yeah, I yeah, he's because uh, he's been in movies before. They've done the Spectre stuff, right? Yeah, something approximating it. Yeah, at least. Um, yeah. Uh, so he was in. He was basically the the big baddie for Spectre. Um, for some reason, it wasn't very well done. Honestly, <coughs> kind of dumb. Um, I just downed my whiskey. It was a bad idea. Yeah, it really was. Uh, I think that's it for the returning characters. Um, Lashana Lynch is a new character in this one, which I'm really excited to see. She's the new double O. Um, yes. 
Ana de Armas, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, uh, Eve Harris's Money Penny has been in all of them since Skyfall. Money. That's where. Oh my god. So literally today, <laughs> like the name Money Penny just popped into my head on the way home from work today, <laughs> and I was like, "What is this from?" It's from James Bond. Yeah. God. Because they don't say the name in the trailer. No. It's just a coincidence that I, the trailer came out today and I watched it this morning. It triggered some subconscious memory. Yeah, I'll, I, it must have. Yep. But I was just like, the word money penny just popped into my head. And I was like, it, it just, it made me think of like, if you combined the first appearance of Alfred, like the goofy bumbling idiot with like Alfred, the, the, I'm the British, like, I'm just going to help you out, sir. Like, that mm-hmm. kind of, like, British. He's just, money, Penny. Eh! Like, kind of this goofy yeah. British guy. And I was like, is that what it is? <laughs> is no. it from, like, a Monty Python thing or something? <laughs> no, she's the uh, the secretary for, yeah. uh, for MI6. And she basically relentlessly flirts with Bond, but then never actually does anything. Uh. She's the one woman he can never land. Mm. It's kind of her role in the the series oh good that's that's what we want women roles to be she also shoots him in skyfall (laughs) i don't remember that um yeah uh mulan is going to be on disney plus so it's gonna be on this weekend for thirty dollars and then it will become free on december 4th okay do we wait until it's free no okay it's your money yeah. Because it's your Disney Plus account. Yeah. Hannah's, All right. Hannah's going to pitch in because she wants to watch it too. And... I thought you said Hannah's going to bitch. And I'm just like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's excited. There's about, no, I mean, like, I bet you're going to say Hannah's going to bitch if we don't see it. Um, I was just like, that is about three levels of jarring to hear, hear you say. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I mean, she would, but. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Any other news? Um, I had one other thing. I think this was more just one that I was... Sorry for the audio. My mic keeps dropping, so it's going to be another... Okay. That's better. It's going to... I'm going to have to do it again later. All right. Nope. That's it. Cool. That's all my news. Matt. Preston. I'm an anxious person, right? So they tell me. Yeah. So they? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> the voices. Oh, good. <laughs> Mostly. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So I'm an anxious person. Mm-hmm. I don't suffer with like bad anxiety, mm-hmm. but like I could I could feel anxious, anxious, an- yeah, <laughs> angst, ang- ang- anxious, anxious. I, I can feel anxiety and anxious. Sure, I have my moments, but like when I watch like a horror movie, mm-hmm. a suspense-driven horror movie, mm-hmm. particularly, mm-hmm. I feel anxious. Like, Good, almost the whole time. Good. And I mean, we can ignore the fact that it seems like I'm leading into a topic that's the exact same as the last episode where no. What did we talk about last episode? I'm leading. It seems like I'm leading into a topic that the initial idea for last week's episode was of watching movies differently. Uh, Uh, Like the difference difference between like movie anxiety and real mm -hmm. anxiety or movie stress and real stress. Mm -hmm. Um, Movies do that. Some of them do. Songs do that. Some of them do. How? They tickle your brain in the right way. 
Let's talk about it a little bit. I did not mean to cross into Good Mythical Morning territory right there. <laughs> Don't sue me, Retin Link, please. <laughs> no, uh, we have seen a lot of movies that instill anxiety as you're watching it. Mm-hmm. On purpose. Yes. Not, well, I mean, there are movies that instill anxiety because they're so bad. Hellboy. Um, but movies, let's, 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 to name a few, uh, Quiet Place. Oh, absolutely. Definitely instills an anxiety. That's the whole point. Um, but also it's got themes, man. It's got themes, capital T themes. Um, what are other movies? We, we've talked about, uh, Dunkirk's a good one. We go back to. Dunkirk's a good one. A lot of the Christopher Nolan ones. Uh, Dark Knight. Dark Knight does up to a point. I think Dunkirk is kind of the most concentrated example yeah. of that. That is but, that is an anxious movie. Yes, it is. So I want to know how the hell that happens because it's such it's it's a it's the epitome of a movie doing something subtextually, mm-hmm. subtextually, sub subliminally. Yeah. Where it's it's not something like they're not literally coming out on the screen and saying, "Hey, you should feel anxious." Like right. it's, they're doing tiny little things mm-hmm. with the story, with the structure, with the with sound, with yeah. all of these different kinds of things mm-hmm. that it, it just you just walk out. I mean, ideally, you'd walk out of the theater go like with the sense of catharsis. But while you're sitting in your chair you're hopefully not sitting in the middle of the chair. Right. So to speak, you're sitting on the edge of your seat. Look straight into camera. (laughs) I don't know what that was. (laughs) I'm, it's been a long day and I just drank some whiskey. So I'm a little wonky. So this is going to be one of those. It's going to be a fun episode. All right. So Matt. So Preston. How? It's all about the pacing. You got to get a relentless pacing. You got to just keep talking, keep throwing problems at the viewer and at the characters. And you got to ramp up the energy. And every time they solve a problem, a bigger problem takes place. And the sound design has got to be on point And it's got to be loud. And it's got to be exciting. And it's going to be sudden. And it's going to punch you in the ears. And there's got to be music. There's got to be music. It's got to be loud. It's got to be intense. It's got to be fast. It's got to have some Hans Zimmer style grinding, pounding strings that are just beating your head into submission. I said grinding and pounding and my brain went completely the other direction <laughs> all right i have my answer shall we <laughs> no okay let's so dig in, let's dig into we? this a little bit yeah. um how do you want to where, where do you want to start so um i think kind of the the big main point to this and the the big driving thing is just going to be the pacing the way the the story is presented mm-hmm. so we should kind of come up with some sort of operational definition for pacing okay um so in terms of pacing for suspense i think it majority of it has to do with when problems arise and when problems are solved Mm -hmm. um because i think there is an element of introducing a problem and then if you wait too long for any sort of development on it, whether it be a full solution or just like a mm-hmm. more, uh, uh, you, you turn a, you give a twist to the problem where it's more complex than we first thought. Mm-hmm. Um, it just feels like there's this just unsolvable drone of a problem. And I think there's a, there's a, a point where it leaves anxiety 
and enters just ugh. It loses the momentum. It does. I think you're right. I think the micro level problems have to be just kind of continually being thrown at the characters, being thrown at the situation. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, a lot of movies that thrive, that thrive in this tension have a scenario where there is one overarching macro level background problem. Yeah. So quiet place. If you make noise, you're dead the entire movie. Mm -hmm. There's this underlying macro level problem. Dunkirk. You're trapped and the Germans are closing in. There's this underlying macro level problem that it just it, it puts you in that heightened sense to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, Uncut Gems, to throw another one out there that a lot of people think is really anxious. Did you? Nope, uh, haven't seen it yet. You should have seen it before this week, probably. Probably should have. I probably should have watched Punctured Strong. Yeah, Life. that one too, yeah. Um, Uncut Gems, basically there's the, the underlying problem that Howard is... Uh, He's in debt and he's he's in with some shady characters. Mm-hmm. This this underlying problem and some of the micro level problems stem from that and grow off from that. Some of the micro level problems are completely unrelated, but it is kind of this constant underlying driving force. Yeah. It provides an impetus for an action and it provides a rationale for stuff that isn't even related to these micro level problems. Yeah. And I think I think that is something that is important to have. There always has to be a threat. Yeah. Um be it literal, be it just um, existential, existential in some <laughs> sense, yeah, um, moral even. Yeah, um, it's not really in that direction. But you could argue that something like Spotlight has even that anxious feeling. It's it's a little more low key, but yeah. there's like the constant underlying threat of if this story doesn't get out there, then this uh, this abuse continues. Yeah, um, it's not a great example, but just. But it's, it it can be done yeah. more low key. It doesn't have to be an immediate "you're going to die" threat. Well, I don't think that. I think that's more of to the anxiety part, less of the the definition of pacing. You ask for the definition of pacing and then move to the anxiety part of right, it. Right. We kind of jumped jumped <laughs> into the anxiety part before we really yeah. nailed down the definition. The, yeah. I think the definition I, of pacing is the the rate at which problems arise and are solved. Right. And. And that's because that's a um, plot ha- is purely a problem and a solution right down to its essence. Yep. And a complex plot will have a problem arise, a solution, a new problem arise. Uh, so, oh no, a bigger problem mm-hmm. or a, like a smaller problem, realizing that that first problem is a bigger thing, but a solution to something to maybe give them a little hope, but then maybe make the problem more complex. It's, mm-hmm. it's introducing facets of the overarching problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, in, in this case, anxiety comes from, for you take that overarching problem mm-hmm. that it has. And I think, cause you, every movie has an overarching problem, mm-hmm. but not all movies have anxiety. Right. And I think the overarching problem is that the anxiety is a problem that has existed and will continue to exist, maybe? I think I think no. with these I, I, I kind of see where you're going with this. Um movies that do have that real instinctive visceral anxiety to them. It is kind of a static background problem. Yeah, it is. It doesn't change. I'm thinking of, uh, for a counterexample, something like Rise of Skywalker, which is a movie with fast pacing, mm-hmm. especially at the start. 
but oh god for sure yeah <laughs> um but kind of the the macro level problem the goalposts are always moving mm-hmm. it's always changing every every time a problem is solved and a new problem is created it changes the entire paradigm it's an un here we go it's an basically an untouchable problem right because for uh until like the very end i don't know how uncut gens ends don't tell me mm-hmm. gens gems uh but quiet place the fact that you can't make noise is a pretty much untouchable problem yeah but i think a good one a, a good midpoint relaxing well excuse me relaxing is it kind of shows a way you can actually get around it so mm-hmm. quiet place gives them the waterfall where they're like yeah there's a safe place but it's a safe place it's not really a safe place right um but i think that's not really something that has to do with anxiety i think that's just something that quiet place wanted to do yeah it's it's something that you use to um i mean you'd wear out if the pacing were just relentless with no emotional let up no reprieve so here's the thing uh batman begins okay overarching problem is there's this scarecrow guy Mm -hmm. that's doing things and then the goalposts move when oh Turns out Rachel Ghoul is the guy behind it all. Right. And then goalposts move when it's like, oh, this is what he's actually trying to do. He's trying to destroy the entire city and bring mm-hmm. it down like he did with Rome. But with Dark Knight, there's this, like, they make Joker just this enigmatic force of nature. Yeah. That he is almost this untouchable guy. Yeah. And it and with that one, it it plays more to the that movie dives more into the systemic corruption of Gotham, which is more of a static, untouchable problem. Yeah. It's touchable if you you work at it for 10 years, Mm -hmm. but for Batman, the duration of the movie, it's an untouchable stagnant problem. Yeah. The, the Joker almost fades into the background in the sense that like every time something new happens, you're wondering how the Joker has in his hand, has his hands in it. Yeah. Every time something is not happening, you're wondering what the Joker is doing next. Exactly. And that's the, the anxiety is the low level problem or the, the base level problem is spinning off that anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, and then micro level challenges can come along the way. Yeah. But that's, but I I, think those are the driving force. Yeah. I think those are, I think the many problems, the main kind of like, not the main, the, the, the juice of the movie mm-hmm. is inconsequential to the anxiety. Right. I think if you if you take any movie that has a lot of anxiety, let's say uh, Uncut Gems, mm-hmm. and you remove that element of that stagnant, untouchable problem, mm-hmm. like you just kind of uh, I'm literally visualizing it right now. You chop you chop that line that's at the top off, right. and it's just a movie with some plot. It's just a story, basically. There's some rising and some falling. There's some, yeah, yeah. It's less anxiety. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Yeah. Now. That's a thing. So we have this, we have in pacing and we have in plot this underlying, while simultaneously, really overlying stagnant. That's a good way to put it. Uh, stagnant, untouchable problem. Mm-hmm. Also, this overlying stagnant music. Music is a big driving force. Music can instill a lot of anxiety, particularly. So we look at Dunkirk, there's shepherd mm-hmm. tones. Yeah. Um, which are like that particularly played really, really well with Dunkirk because of airplanes, because of the Doppler effect. So you kept getting of airplanes. Why while don't you, why don't you explain to the, to the good people what a shepherd tone is? Shepherd tones. It's uh, it's this guy standing on a grassy field, looking at all of his sheep and going, ah, 
<laughs> thought no. you were gonna yole yole. <laughs> uh, so shepherd tone is um, it's something that can be done with uh, audio where it is it, it it gives the illusion of continuously rising notes. Yeah, where basically a note does rise. Let's say there's a chord mm-hmm. and the notes are slowly rising, but as they get higher in pitch, they slowly kind of fade out mm-hmm. and the same notes are fading in at the same time, lower in pitch. Right. And it just gives this sense of like, of this recurring rise that can just really fuck with you. If you like, if you did like it, it always feels like it's getting higher. Sonic um, barber pole is how I've heard it Exactly, described. yeah. A sonic barber pole. That's great. Um, I sounded so fake. <laughs> that's great. Moving on. <laughs> no, but uh, that's one specific example of a way that music is used. Mm-hmm. But there's also the polar opposite where it's just one kind of note happening I'm, in Dark Knight. I'm thinking of Dark Knight. Just the sort Joker of theme is literally just like a perpe- a drone yeah and I, it's just like this oh my god what's gonna it, it's this need for ch- it, it, it instills this like this need for change mm-hmm. that is never gonna come and like the longer it doesn't come it just puts you on edge mm-hmm. a weird example gage you're gonna love this there's a song called uh uh by uh jukebox the ghost called people go to work mm-hmm and the main chorus is people go to work, people go home, people go to work and people go home, people go to work and people go home. The chord never changes. It's just the same chord the entire time. And it it's to, inst- it's to paint the idea of mundanity and mm-hmm. no change. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and when I'm listening to that, I'm like, change the chord, change the chord, change the fucking change the chord. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like this is something that can really play into the overarching idea that people have the problem with mundanity mm-hmm. that children growing up are terrified of getting a nine to five job because you don't want the same thing all the time. Mm-hmm. Like humans just want variety unless you're Bob, the normal man, um, Must be a Bob, the normal man, <laughs> Bob, the normal man is now a character <laughs> that will show back up. Um, I just remembered a character we made up in like the first 15 episodes. I don't remember when it was, but Flexi Mix, Stretchy McFlexo Pants. No. Remember Stretchy McFlexo Pants? I took him out back and put him down <laughs> two years ago. He it was back, for his own good. <laughs> stretchy McFlexo Pants. <laughs> anyway, it's humans desire change. And I think just desire change while not wanting change i think we can get more into like i avoiding the I philosophical think, problems that you... i think i think you're onto something but i want to get a little more general with it yes yeah. thinking back to um movie scores that i think really help with that anxiety dark knight's a great example dunkirk's a great example quiet place to a lesser extent because quiet place actually totally just rips off the sicario soundtrack oh good um like so you know about temp tracks no so this is actually an interesting little tidbit. Um, when directors assemble like the first rough cut of a movie, they kind of want to know what it feels like with music. So they'll slap temp tracks in it. Uh, slap, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, some other music in it. And mm-hmm. so that has become such an underlying problem in the industry because now the director gets attached to this temp track and says, hey, composer, do exactly this. So that's, for A Quiet Place, it was Sicario. That's, like, you can tell. I can almost guarantee... That's what happened with Doctor Strange. 
where he put the mm. enterprising young men from yeah star trek in there and was like i love this i'm gonna get the same guy i want you to write that song again yeah <laughs> yeah yeah if you go watch dr strange listen to the main theme whenever like big thing happens i keep looking at the middle of the stand but my camera's over there uh go uh go listen to that and then sing the melody of enterprising young men from star trek it's gonna yeah yeah and then make a four-part harmony video of yourself, like yourself acapella, one of those cool videos, singing the Enterprising Young Man theme. What cool videos are you talking about that do that? I can't think of a single video that does that that's cool. <laughs> they are so overdone, and I'm so sick of seeing them. I like them. I think they're kind of cool. <laughs> All right, Karen. <laughs> I, I have a friend from elementary school who does some of them, and he does very they're, – they're good work. Your friend from elementary school has – no i don't know <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh so what these these scores have in common is they have no themes themes no themes lowercase th- themes this oh, time. lowercase t themes they have they have nothing that you can sing when leaving the theater no yeah almost nothing in the way of melodic contour almost honestly a lot of the time very little in the way of actual like tonality yeah it's just bordering on noise and that you you try to latch on to those themes. You want the the um, the classic John Williams tunes, or yeah. even Michael Giacchino tones uh, tunes. Um, you want something to latch onto and grab onto. You want those nice conventional, uh, settled harmonic structures. Um, not that John Williams exactly does conventional or settled harmonies, but mm-hmm. um, you want something that sounds like the music you know. You get this atonal stuff, the stuff that refuses to settle, the stuff that. Maybe just stays really static. And yeah. just, there's that drone. And musically doesn't resolve. It unsettles you. <laughs> it unsettles you subconsciously. And I think that's a there's something really there. Mm-hmm. You need um I don't think the music itself can give you the anxiety, because I've seen bad movies with good anxious type music mm-hmm. that just it doesn't doesn't work enough. But you need if you want to have a movie that instills that level of anxiety, that level of stress in the audience. You've got to get the music right. Yeah. All right. All right. What else? Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, what happens with the people in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have any idea where I'm going with this yet. Okay. But I feel like the actors doing things and the way that they say words and the way that maybe the camera works around people probably has an effect on it so Mm -hmm. let's figure this out (laughs) well one of the most anxious moments i can think of in all film or tv is Jon snow's fog of war moment in battle of the bastards yeah that is an anxiety inducing shot i think for a couple of reasons um big one is it is a chaotic long take and it's focused on him. So for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, um, Battle of the Bastards, it's a big battle in Game of Thrones. People hack each other to death with swords. It's great. It's delightful. Um, there's a shot just after the joining of the two armies where our hero, Jon Snow, is kind of in the middle of the battlefield fighting. And it's just a long shot on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it's like a solid minute, minute and a half just of him fighting on the battlefield as uh, horse riders charging by and trying to attack him. And arrows come flying in from above. And it's a really anxiety-inducing shot because, firstly, the way it's framed is he's in the middle of a conflict. A threat mm-hmm. can appear from any direction. Um, and honestly, I think that's something that you could 
get from Quiet Place or even Dunkirk. Mm -hmm. Like you could have Germans start shooting at them from any direction or shelling them, or you could have planes coming in from any direction. Here's a phrase. There is the unseen threat. Yeah. That so instead of so I chose all those words really carefully because mm-hmm. you could say there's there is there isn't there's an unseen threat. Would you say a phantom menace? All right, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> done with this podcast. <laughs> um, no. So the reason I say there is the unseen threat, mm-hmm. you know what the threat is, right? I think like whether it be you know what it looks like or you don't flashback mm-hmm. to that was it Ridley Scott? I never remember where this fucking phrase came from. The moment you show the monster is it loses mm. its all sphere. Mm-hmm. Um so you know that there is the threat. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's another tense movie. Alien. Yeah. Yeah. Anxiety um, inducing. So there is the threat of the alien and mm-hmm. you know what it does. So there the the threat has been identified. Right. Jon Snow. You know that the threat is a whole bunch of dudes that want to murder him. Mm-hmm. Alien, you know it's uh, you know what the alien does. Mm-hmm. Quiet place, you established early on that this thing just shout, shoots from out of screen, out of frame, mm-hmm. and kills a child. Right, like you know what these things. There is the threat. Yeah, and it is there. Mm-hmm. Like because like the um, this uh, quiet place, these monsters are fucking everywhere. Like right. making a sound, and they show up in thirty seconds. Yeah. Um, Jon Snow literally is standing like amongst them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is there, right? Not that. So the reason I say there is the unseen threat is because you can say there is an unseen threat, mm-hmm. and that implies that there is a threat somewhere. Right. I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. and it's just like the, there is. It's somewhere. Mm-hmm. Is like. Lightly saying is implies it's somewhere, but is implies that it's right fucking there. Right. And I think that's what all that does. Like, so when you're talking specifically about characters and looking at a character, Mm -hmm. there is the unseen threat. Paranormal movies are all chock full of anxiety Mm -hmm. because the, 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 the threat is just around them and maybe within them. Mm -hmm. Like it, it it is there, Mm -hmm. but it's unseen. Mm-hmm. And so you don't get this satisfaction of knowing where you can watch it. It's like the um, uh, Weeping Angels from Doctor Who give anxiety because oh. it's only threatening when you don't see it. Right. Which is a problem because if you close your eyes, you don't see it. Like, that's that anxiety. Um, yeah, I think I like that. That that sentence is very carefully said is there is the unknown or unseen threat. Not unknown. I said unknown by accident. There is the unseen and known threat. I'm going to stick with Phantom Menace, but... Ow! Oh, yeah, I agree with you. Die in a hole. <laughs> yeah. I think leapfrogging off of that, uh, one thing that makes the Battle of the Bastards shot so successful, and one thing that I think, especially in the case of A Quiet Place, really works, is when the threat is something physical, something tangible, uh-huh. smooth, long takes give you the sense like they're not cutting at any moment there could be danger and with each shot you're like you're building into it you're getting invested in every moment that the characters are on screen in this particular configuration something could go wrong i'm going to add to that when you're cutting between camera between shots Mm -hmm. so let's say whoops so the camera looking at us right now Mm -hmm. 
you can see everything that's behind us. So then when the camera cuts to a different angle, you now have more of what's around them. The audience now knows more of what's Uh around them. But if you long take it, you perpetually don't know what's behind the camera. You know, it's a really great example that we always love talking about sort of of this is that it follows the car spinning shot. Yes. Speaking of tense movies, it moves. Oh God, that is a perfect movie to yeah. talk. I'm surprised we haven't mentioned it yet. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, it, the, you have this f- field of view, I would say 200 degrees of unknown. Yeah. And the reason that one, so a long take that pans around like that, mm-hmm. if it pans around really quickly, no anxiety, but it's slow, roughly the pace of walking mm-hmm. where by the time you see the same spot again, it definitely could change. Right. And so, so that long take is basically taking the element of a long take of giving you this perpetual unknown Mm-hmm. while mixing it with this idea of showing you the full surroundings mm-hmm. and giving you that stress of the perpetual unknown. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah, if you cut between a shot of the person from their left and then a shot of the person from their right, you got about 80% of what's around them covered. Right. Like you maybe don't know what's directly in front of them and directly behind them, but you know what's to the left and what's to the right. Right. And that's nothing unless there's something there. Right. But Long takes, like giving the audience an unknown. Right. Especially if there's, I think, a real tangible threat. Yes. Doesn't make a difference in something like Uncut Gems. Yeah. Where a lot of that's just going to come from the way you the way you write it, the way you play the character interactions. Um, and Uncut Gems, I think, you, it almost kind of does it differently. You have to do it, it a little more quickly, a little more aggressively. What do you... Computer went to sleep again. I thought I stopped that. Mm. Go wake the computer up. But with uh, with uncut gems, um, a lot of that has to come down to the dialogue to build the tension. A lot of it has to come down to these character interactions that build tension. Uh, if it's not a tangible threat, you have to, I guess, kind of build on it, um, build on it in the actual the, the conversations, the the interactions. That's where the threats actually exist. Yeah. So you have to create it, and then you, I think, you do actually have to have moments where it's left unspoken. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Uncut Jumps, without spoiling very much, kind of the one of the big guys that Howard's indebted to, um, like he shows up at, at like just a, a gathering and they're both there mm-hmm. and they, there's kind of nothing really like threatening in the interaction, but it just, you place that tension into the scene again, the unspoken threat, mm-hmm. um, the unseen threat of, okay, is he going to explode? Is he going to press him? Is he going to make his life more miserable for him somehow? What's going on? Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of the same thing. It's just, it has to be done with the writing and the characters instead. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There cool. Is the unseen threat. There is the, uh, there is the unseen threat, unseen threat. The Phantom Menace. Man, I just. And then when you want to follow up your unseen threat, what you do is. You attack it with a bunch of clones. <laughs> I had a more nuanced way I was going to do that. You doofus. <laughs> No, I refuse to let you make those movies. Then you just start sending the threat in and then you send it in again and again and you just attack them with clones of the threat. (laughs) Don't stop. I can see you thinking of one for revenge. Don't fucking. (laughs) Um, Okay. 
So we've got three elements that really play a, a integral part in creating anxiety. Mm-hmm. There needs to be a fourth. What ta- what are we at time wise? That's a great question. I am glad you asked that question. I'm going to check. Uh, just over an hour. Okay. So we're doing well. So if we do, if we get one more, what do you think? What else? So I think sound design is important. Um, cool. That's the way we can go. We're going with sound design. All right. This will be our fourth one. So what particularly in sound design instills anxiety? I know silence can do it. Silence absolutely can. Um, occasional sudden loud noises. That's not anxiety. <laughs> That's jump no. scare. That stuff doesn't stick. But you need to land your uh, your loud noises early um, just to set up, again, the, the unseen threat. Yeah. Dunkirk is a perfect example of that. It's like peaceful walk through the abandoned town for 30 seconds and then gunshot blow out your eardrums with a gunshot yeah i remember that so vividly yeah that's a good job it's a great movie um yeah so uh sound design of i think it plays more into the unseen threat Mm -hmm. because all right okay here's the thing for you Mm -hmm. not silence Mm-hmm. But you can hear the alien in the air ducts. Mm. It's there. It's the unseen threat. Mm-hmm. You don't know where it is, but you know it's literally walking above you or something. Mm-hmm. Like just the 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 sound of. Uh, okay, uh, you you need the sound design to make the threat present. Yes, even if it's not seen. The the drone from the the Stukas the. Sounded like a mosquito. What do you? The, is that from Dunkirk? Yeah. Oh, okay. The, the dive bombers. You hear it before you see it, and yeah. then you're trying to place the threat. Yeah. Um, quiet place. You you hear the monsters sometimes before you uh-huh. see them. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, yeah, literally anything point. like, exp- like telling the audience that they're there. Yeah. Really accents that that unseen threat because especially like the mm-hmm. like you mentioned the. Uh, the alien from Alien and the, or the Xenomorph from Alien and the right. um, the things from M- Minozorfs. The Minozorfs from Quiet Place. Like, they're around, mm-hmm. which is the unseen threat. Mm-hmm. But then when you start hearing them climb on your roof, you're like, oh, they're here. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, fuck, like breathing is a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that actually plays, we talked about this a few episodes ago with, when we were talking about sound design, uh-huh. sound and and music, it gets to you. It's a it's a bit more of a visceral emotion. It's mm-hmm. it's something that engages your evolutionary self, and your your eyes are more of a your sight is more of a rational mm-hmm. sense. Um, and so, effective sound design, sound design that places objects, that places threats, that makes things present, turns on that visceral. Oh, evolutionary that is such minded. a good point. Thinking about like evolutionarily Mm -hmm. the past five thousand years seeing things has been we it's a lot easier to make visual things so as we've evolved into civilized into modern society Mm -hmm. modern society is very based on visual stuff yeah so we're just used to visual stimuli all the time Mm -hmm. and so it it has kind of dampened that uh, that use for visuals as a, a defense mechanism, as a as a way to survive. Mm-hmm. 
but it has less it, it, diminishing return of your visual stimulus. Yeah. But then with audio, like it's still a lot more visceral. Like you, you look at a really nice looking thing and you're like, Oh, that looks beautiful. But then you sit in the middle of an IMAX theater and like just deep sounds hit and you're like, Oh yeah. Like everyone does that. Yeah. And then so playing, giving the fear to your ears instead of your eyes mm-hmm. kicks in that, that, like you said, that yeah. evolutionary, there is a threat. Well, I think even going back to just like pre-civilization times, you know, you're, you're walking through the jungle and you hear a twig crackle and that puts you on alert. Yeah. You don't know what's going on. It's the unseen threat. And then as soon as you see what's going on, you rationally process it. You understand it. You start formulating a plan. Based yeah. On that. Ooh, there we go. Yeah. Seeing it, you can form a plan. Yeah. Not when you can't see it. Right. Which plays into the unseen threat. Right. I think, I think the unseen threat mm-hmm. or there is the unseen threat is pretty much the, that's kind the, of the, the wrap up. That's of, what we're settling on right yeah, here. That's the, that's yeah. the wrap up of this entire, of this entire idea of like yeah. what creates anxiety is there is the unseen threat. Yep. And that has so much, and that really does break down in all the things we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Like the, the overarching thing, mm-hmm. it's an unseen threat yeah. and it is there. Yeah. Then there's like the monsters that are like the, they exist. Mm-hmm. There's the music. There's the audio playing to your evolutionary, uh, like it mm-hmm. exists, but you haven't seen it yet to form an idea of how to solve the problem. Right. It's there is the unseen threat. Congratulations, we've just rewritten the Phantom Menace for your enjoyment, dude. I love it when we actually have an episode that's like that. Mm-hmm. That we come to such a good conclusion. We a, we're like, we are happy a, with the way point. this turned out. Yeah, yeah. Shall we? Let's shout! Hell yeah! Thanks everyone for listening. Good episode. You can find this podcast, all of its other episodes, which are mostly not as good as this one. We're pumped about this one. It's probably going to be terrible when we go back and listen to it. Oh, but <laughs> I had a lot of fun. I think we learned some stuff here today. Uh. You can find this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, and probably literally anywhere else you can ever listen to anything. Um, Look how iHeartRadio got added because Carter was like, oh, hey, I see you guys on iHeartRadio on Google. Yeah. Oh, all right. Now you're part of the outro. Go iHeartRadio. We're also sort of on Facebook. I keep promising to post reviews for New Mutants and Tenet. I will try to sit down and write them uh, at some point this weekend. Do it. Don't know if it's going to happen, but I'm going to do my darndest. I've got a couple other projects that I need to be working on right now, but we'll we'll see. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Just Us Losers Pod and Instagram at the same handle at Just Us Losers Pod. Get ready, stuff's going to be coming. We got a whole social media team lined up. Mm-hmm. It's one of our friends. Two of our friends. Two of them. One of them. She mostly does it. She mostly does she the social does media. Yeah. yeah, he mostly does the overseeing and marketing and logo yeah. stuff branding branding that's the word i was looking for he's the brand or she's the media the meat the eater meteor. she's a meteor meteor move on uh <laughs> we also have a gmail just us losers pod at gmail.com if you've got more suggestions for movies that make you feel tense and anxious send them our way we like hurting ourselves in that particular way so we would love to watch those see if they fit in with our theory See if maybe they break our theory and we have to come back and reassess in a few episodes or a few hundred. I don't know. Let us know. That's justusloserspod at gmail.com. If you have a Bionicle movie that 
instills a lot of tension and anxiety in you, let us know which one it is. We'd like to see it. What's next week? Writer's Strike. Writer's Strike. We're getting Andrew on for that? Yep. Delightful. Next week, we're talking about the history of the writer's strike, which happened at some point in the late aughts. A bunch of writers, they went on strike, as it turns out. We'll see what the ramifications of that were. It's going to be good. Andrew's back. It's always a good time when Andrew's back. Yep. Uh, I think that's all the things I'm supposed to have said at this point in the episode, so I can safely say thanks for listening. Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs>